two stories that teach us a wonderful lesson today on forgiveness. Who is this who even forgives sins? The people said in Luke's gospel. And Jesus says to the woman, it's your faith that has saved you. Go in peace. Well, here we are, as Pastor said, on the sixth day of our 40-day journey through the forgiving challenge. And again, if you have not... uh, If you have not launched, you've only missed five days, uh, don't worry. Grab a book and start with today. Start with day six, because it's going to be a wonderful journey that we are on together. Pastor Greminger last week introduced us to the whole thing when he introduced us to the acronym SCARS, right? S for sin, C for confession, A for absolution, R for restoration, and S for sanctification. That'll be our preaching theme for the this Sunday and the next four Sundays. And the lesson that we have to begin with today is the one that starts with S. We have to take a very humble and honest look at the reality of our own sin, the first letter in the word scars. And this sermon will not be one of those three-part sermons that you're kind of used to. It'll be just a two-part sermon. Uh, A curse and a blessing. Judgment and grace. Law and gospel. Sin and forgiveness chaos and peace eternity either separated from God in the fires of hell or with our God in the eternity of paradise only two choices only two possibilities I I say to young people when I'm teaching them there are only two kinds of people in the world forgiven sinners and unforgiven sinners thank God I'm forgiven so today is where the spiritual rubber really hits the road and maybe you noticed the two parables huh The rich man and the poor man, uh, from 2 Samuel chapter 7, the rich man had all kinds of sheep and cattle and all kinds of uh, livestock, and the poor man had nothing except that one little ewe lamb. He raised it, it grew up with him and his children, He, he shared food from his table with it, he shared drink with it, he even let it lay down in his bed with him. Beautiful picture, huh? Beautiful picture, that is, until the rich man comes and steals it and roasts it on a spit in order to feed a traveling visitor who came by. He didn't want to use one of his many animals. He stole the poor man's animal. Gets you mad, doesn't it? Lousy rich man. I believe all of us could stand with King David with his reaction. He says, as the Lord lives, that man deserves to die. And then the New Testament parable, the one about the banker who had two debtors, One owed 500 silver coins, and the other owed 50. Neither of them had the money to pay their debt, and so the banker forgave the debt of both of them. And Jesus asked, which one do you suppose will love him more? Pretty good deal, I'd say, for both of them, wouldn't you think? But if you're broke, and you owe a half a million dollars, and another guy owes $50,000, and the banker forgives you both the same, In our society, I'll tell you what, the one who got a half a million dollars forgiven is going to benefit the most by far. So both of these stories are kind of no-brainers. One of them is about judgment, that man deserves to die, and the other one is about grace. You're both forgiven, regardless of what you owe. The judgment one, we usually figure that one out pretty easily. It's that grace one that we have a lot more trouble with. God's judgment is no surprise. Usually, as a matter of fact, it seems to be well-deserved. 
Lightning strikes Sodom, good deal. Fire burns up Gomorrah, yeah, good job, Lord. Egyptians swallowed up in the Red Sea, they had it coming. And those Israelites who had to wander for 40 years in the wilderness would have done it same thing myself. And sending the prophet Nathan to condemn King David, good deal, Lord, glad you did it. Ah, yes, King David, maybe you remember the story from maybe from Sunday school days, how covetousness led to adultery and adultery led to murder. Quite a story. One evening, while he's out on the roof of his palace as the king of Israel, he looks over and sees a beautiful woman, and she's bathing. And he discovers that it's Bathsheba. And Bathsheba has a, a husband by the name of Uriah. By the way, David has a wife, too. So although both of them were married, David's lust gets the best of him, and he arranges a little rendezvous with her. And the rendezvous results in a child being conceived. And after David learns that he has conceived a child through his adultery, he devises a little plan to get rid of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. And they do it in some deceiving kind of a way with the army that Uriah is serving David with. This week we're going to look at an, another disciple who learned a lesson in forgiveness by the name of Peter as we go through our journey. But today I want to complete this story about King David. In David, you see, we see the consequence of sin that just runs amok. Lust and covetousness that leads to adultery and then adultery that leads to murder. Oh my goodness. He fell from being the great king of Israel to being a disgusted, despised sinner. He pretended everything was okay on the outside, but inside he was filled with an accusing conscience. All the while, the Lord, for whatever reason, leaves him alone, wallowing in his guilt. The guilt of his first word, in the word scars, sin. But this wallowing came to an end. When Nathan came to David... And God came to him with an accusation from Nathan himself. Nathan told this parable about the rich man and the poor man, right? And after the king of Israel pronounced his judgment on the rich man, right? Nathan pointed his finger of judgment at David and said, David, you are that man. You are that man. You took the sweetest lamb in the flock of Uriah, his wife. And you took the best that he had, Uriah had, for your own selfish interests. His life. You took his life. You, David, are that man. And David could hide his scar no longer. No more excuses, no more games to be played, either with himself or with his God. Crushed by sin... David, second letter is C. Pastor Smith will talk about it next week. David confessed, I have sinned against the Lord. Well, now the judgment of God that we were cheering about, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah and the Egyptians and the Israelites, now it's not so easy to deal with because what about when that judgment of God hangs over you and me? What if the Lord points at you this morning and says, you are that man, you are that woman, 
you are that kid. And he does, you know. The scriptures are very clear. All have fallen short of the glory of God. So how are you feeling at this point, huh? A little like Simon the Pharisee in the gospel lesson from Luke? The one for whom Jesus had to tell that second parable about the banker and the two debtors? Are you feeling a little pious Lutheran smugness? Are you kind of sitting there wanting to pray, Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like King David or that filthy prostitute woman washing Jesus' feet with her tears? Disgusting. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a murderer. Who are you trying to kid? Me? You know you can do that. You can kid me and you can get away with it. Here's the deal. I can kid you too and get away with it. You maybe even try to kid yourself. If you're dishonest enough, you might be able to pull it off and actually convince yourself that you don't deserve judgment. But you're never going to kid the Lord. Never. You, you, you and I, we, we are no different from David. We need the seven days of this week's challenge to come face to face with sin and to realize that our lives are a sham without Jesus. You want some evidence? Okay, I'll tell you what. I'll give you four exhibits to prove our lives are a sham. Exhibit number one. You're going to die. In the garden, God said to Adam and Eve, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. There's only one reason we're on a parade to the grave, and that's because we're sinners. Poor, miserable sinners. I'll let you look at this slide for a minute. Exhibit number two. You love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength, right? Okay. Then go sell everything you've got and give it to the poor. You don't want to, do you? Exhibit number three. Reveal to me your innermost thoughts. Take a pen to a paper this week. Go home and write them all down. All those secret thoughts of yours, your desires, your compulsions toward your enemies, the people who have hurt you, the ones who you really disagree with, the ones you're jealous of, the ones who put you down all the time. Don't hide them. Put them down on a piece of paper. No. Before you even take a pen to the paper, and reveal to me what really makes you tick inside. Understand this. God already knows. He already knows. Exhibit number four. Okay, you're getting a little angry, huh, at this point? You want to react with, wait a minute, preacher. I'm not that bad. And in comparison to most around me, I'm actually pretty good. And as for the scum of humanity out there, I'm just not that bad. And I'll, I'll admit I'm not perfect, but I live a God-fearing life. I love and I serve and I give and I go to church and I pray and I'm kind and I'm generous and I'm helpful and... Wait a minute. You gave yourself away when you said, I'll admit I'm not perfect. Oops. God grades on the pass fail system. And you and I fail. We are not perfect. Remember, 
the 500,000 or 50,000 or a nickel, it doesn't matter. Exhibit number five. Uh, no, I don't have to go any further, right? This is enough. I am that man. You are that woman, right? Accused of sin. And we all deserve the judgment, and there it is, on the scars of him who came to set us free. That's the path we're going to take this week in our challenge, and, uh, and yet I cannot end this sermon on a note of judgment. Our 40-day challenge will not end in a moment of judgment. For as much as we are cursed by S, sin, we are blessed and set free with forgiveness. For every story of judgment and chaos in the Bible, there is a story of forgiveness and peace and rescue. David the psalmist, yes, he became David the adulterer and the murderer, but he became David the psalmist again, praying, restore in me the joy of my salvation. Peter denied Christ, but after Pentecost he preached Christ. Zacchaeus the crook, the only thing clean in his life was the money he was laundering, and Jesus still had time and went to his house. The thief on the cross, hell-bent and guilty one minute, promised paradise in the next minute. Story after story, prayer after prayer, example after example, surprise after surprise. I challenge you to search through the Scripture and find one person who came to God seeking grace and didn't get it. Search the pages. Find one person who was begging for a second chance and was given only a stern lecture. You won't find it. I don't care how hard you search. You will find instead a strayed sheep on the other side of the creek. He's lost and he knows it. He's stuck. And you will find a shepherd who finds him and puts his hand under his belly and lifts him up and puts him on the shoulder and takes him back to the flock with this announcement. Let's have a party. And while everybody else is celebrating the lost who is found, the shepherd goes out to find some more. So this week, we're going to celebrate the victory over S, sin. As we work through our daily challenges, we will come face to face with the lesson that Peter learned when he sat outside Caiaphas' palace and denied he even knew the Lord. And we will get real personal. We'll take a sin test, as a matter of fact, at the end of one day, and when we're done with that, the next day we will take an omission test. All those things we have omitted to do that we should have been doing. Oh yeah, we're going to let the spiritual rubber hit the road. We're going to come face to face with sin. And then, before the week is done, we will come to the 89th chapter of the Gospels. Yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are a total of 89 chapters in those four books. And we will come to the 89th chapter, which is John chapter 21, and we will find there a wonderful amen to our confrontation with sin. We will find victory in the resurrected Christ. Would you bow your heads to pray? Lord of the church and God of our salvation, uh, we pray you to bless this week of our lives, whether we are working through the, the six lessons of the forgiving challenge or not. Just help us, O oh Lord, to realize that in order to be set, be set free, we have to understand the prison that we're in. And start us, O oh Lord, with the thrill and the joy 
under the power of your Holy Spirit to take all those sins and nail them to the cross. Nail them to the cross. And Christ will take them with him to the open to, to the tomb. And he'll leave them there. When he rises from the dead on Easter Sunday, your sins are gone. When he feeds us with his body and blood, as he will do as we come to his altar today, they will be gone. When we wake up tomorrow morning in the power of our baptism and invoke the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they will be gone and we will be set free from the cursed load of sin. We nail them to the tree, O Lord. Amen. Please rise. Let's sing that very song. Nail them to the tree. <laughs>